Hello and welcome to the HSJ Health Check podcast. I'm your host Annabelle Collins and this week I'm joined by Ben Clover and Nick Tuno. This week we'll be discussing the government's latest plans to boost elective, elective activity, the impact of strep A or rather concerns about strep A and the impact this is having on already stretched services and an update on the forthcoming NHS workforce strikes. But first, let's start with the government's elective plan. Um, ben, we've reported this week that a new task force has been set up. Perhaps we could start with just chatting about what this will do and potentially also how it's kind of intended to help boost elective activity. Yeah, this is a slightly um, mysterious one. Uh, the the uh, the private sector involvement in an elective task force. I mean, it's strange it was sort of um, that it got the attention it did. It was it's strange to me anyway because like because there's the the tap of independent sector capacity um, and and using it on NHS waiting lists is one that's been like turned on and off. Um, regularly over the past two years and was always sort of part of the NHS landscape um, like over the past two years what's changed is that there's been uh, there's been attempts to kind of block well there's been a block booking uh, many problems with that like overpaying underutilization um, was one and then letting regions do it themselves fine um, in practice though um, you don't it's it's about as far as you can get from a panacea um, as a rule <laughs> kind of it's it's difficult to shift lists to the private sector um, kind of people don't want to as a rule patients don't want to change like the consultant they're under the care of and even if it's like oh don't worry it's the same consultant uh, just in a different hospital um, even then there's there's a lot of reluctance it's a lot of it's basically very difficult uh, administratively to organise, even if the payment has been kind of sorted out on a higher level. But that that point about the same consultant kind of brings me back to kind of probably the snappiest um, uh, summary of 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 this task force. Where on on Twitter someone described it as like a, a task force without a workforce. It's like these are the mm. same people. You know, kind of mm. that th there is a shortage um, of like clinical time to to blast through the elective waiting list. Anyway, you know, probably what will make a much bigger difference will be the pension uh, stuff. Um, I would have thought rather than kind of getting the the private sector to do a bunch more work because the private sector's got its own its own work to do anyway. Like the big insurers that put through a bunch of the other work or the self payers that. Um, we're told are increasingly coming through the system as people bulk at very long NHS waiting lists. Um, you know, the private sector can broadly charge a higher margin for that stuff anyway, so it does have that stuff to do. So I suspect this meeting might be about trying to, well, this task force might be about trying to set some kind of uh, some kind of framework around what you pay because there's there's loads of different ways to pay doctors to do extra work you can you can do your own waiting list initiative um at the trust you know you can you can do insourcing um which is a, a, another term for more or less the same thing or you can get an outside company so so insourcing will be an outside company come in and mm. the clinicians do 
their work for that company, but using the trust equipment or like straight up outsourcing, same staff, go down the road to the shiny, you know, Spire or or um, formerly BMI hospital and do it there. Um, but broadly, like the money is better <laughs> uh, mm. doing it, doing private work if you're if you're these clinical teams. So I suspect it will be about circling, trying to get an NHS line on. Look, um, let's not let's not have ICBs cut each other's throats on like, oh, we've undercut you um, because that does happen uh, mm. a lot already. I mean, so you can see this already in um, uh, with the BMA rate card uh issue where it's basically a dispute over how much people should be paid for extra work uh, that they do and kind of trusts can and do sort of uh, outbid one another or find ways to to say quietly that we will pay you a bit more to do this to do this list and then so I suspect it's about trying to leverage the NHS's buying power. Mm. Um, And as you said there's already relationships in certain localities between the NHS and their kind of local private sector hospital. I wonder is there any kind of insight yet on how this national work might affect these local agreements or is it is it still quite woolly? It still seems pretty woolly on that mm-hmm. um, and some places you know have, have quite success. I mean so, some places have have good relationships and I've spoken to plenty of people who have gone like we we didn't know we didn't know these people before um mm. which always surprised me considering you know a lot of your consultants and nurses will have will have been working there at, at the weekends and, and on their on their spare time um but they were sort of brought into the NHS family a bit uh during during the pandemic or during the peaks of the pandemic um but other places will have you know will will have been doing like insourcing like at a at a mass scale and there probably is a sort of um there probably is something to be to be investigated there at some point about um just what the clinical governance is around these um around these kind of insourcing deals because i think some of them are cqc registered and they all should be but not all of them are like i've been told about some places that don't um but yeah they've blasted through lots of volume which is what uh, Mackie and Co are, are really pushing for, um, but their their CQC registration is actually just piggybacking on the trusts. Um, so yeah, so I think there's there's an issue there, but there's lots of different sort of relationships. Like the the big staffing agencies, like the locum staffing agencies, um, realised a while ago that actually running the insourcing program uh, is more profitable than just like sending sending locums in in the traditional way. So yeah, there's there's a, a lot of different there's there's a lot of difference in the ecosystem out there. Mm. And I wonder again, this might be jumping the gun, but do you think this could potentially have a have a, a cost to the NHS in the future? I suppose a cost to the the government as well. But could this have unintended consequences, perhaps? Um, maybe. I kind of I think it's sort of been going that way anyway. So like pay for i mean so the stuff that's getting outsourced it's largely consultant led right i mean there, there are plenty of plenty of nurses working as well but kind of it's largely like the consultants um that will will be doing this right and, and where they do it and how much they're paid for it is sort of the issue and it's sort of um it's like an unofficial part of the pay bargaining you know um 
you know we've we've heard a lot about lots of different groups lots of different staff groups is pay but like you know i i've spoken to people kind of going like do, do they really expect us to do this work this extra work for like about a third of what we'd get in the in the independent sector so kind of so if if the nhs overall starts spending more money with the independent sector to do nhs funded work um you know if that becomes kind of a permanent feature that's probably a more expensive way of doing it than of just hiring more staff you mm. know i mean it will show up in a different part of the of the budget um and it's more immediate um but you know on, on this morning's elective figures kind of a lot of it's going the wrong way anyway so so maybe, maybe you could go left mm. we're gonna we're gonna be missing these uh these targets by the election any which way why yeah. don't we try and invest uh in in growing a few more of our own staff rather than it's you know it's going to be quite expen quite an expensive way to do lots of extra nhs mm. work and, and just my sort of last comment on this one, actually, it was quite an interesting comment from a reader underneath our story around um, patient choice. And actually, you can set these things up and you might have good relationship with local hospitals and kind of organise it all. But actually, um, patients kind of resisting wanting to to go to a private hospital or travel, travel to travel further to go to a private hospital. Um, it seems like one of those things where you know the, the best will in the world are is it going to make a difference unless kind of everyone's on board with it yeah i mean there's yeah it's traditionally been uh reluctance to change care um mm. and that's before i'm not sure how well the public kind of understand the hmm, i'm going to go to this place that really does quite uncomplicated stuff um what if there's complications and i have to be yeah. whizzed back in an ambulance i mean to be fair the private sector the sort of NHS funded work it's going to be doing and the sort of work they tend to do in the main anyway isn't very complicated kind of like mm. what you'd want what you I imagine the deals you'll be striking locally are kind of like um Spire please do like 6,000 basic cataract things for us you know um mm. or, or or simple kind of TNO stuff yeah um but yeah, but yeah, there's long been a sort of reluctance to to do that. I think what what is uh, an interesting kind of question on the kind of use of the private sector is um, the big increase in self payers, mm -hmm. i.e., not NHS money, people's private money. Um, the big in, the big increase in self payers going to the independent sector um, was that just the pent up demand from from when the NHS had block booked it, you know, from the from the pandemic years, or is there a real sort of demographic shift amongst your sort of, you know, your 50, 60 plus, maybe reasonably wealthy people who've been sent the letter by their GP going, um, yeah, we've, <laughs> even with patient choice, this ICB can't offer you much quicker than, you know 11 months time or whatever kind of if if those people if that's a genuine trend those people are now opening their wallets then that will change things i think a bit more because that will be that will put the uh the independent the independent sector will have more better funded work coming in that way so uh yeah i, th I think that's the question on that one mm, it'll be interesting to see how kind of soon it might start making an impact and you know 
um, whether the elective targets will be met. But as you said, yeah, I think it and I think it was Confed as well were quite strong in their response to this. Like it's the workforce really that's going to be the limiting factor. Well, yeah, there just aren't many, many kind of, it's um, just to dive up very quickly in, into diagnostics. I was very struck at a, a conference the other day that um, lots of the big firms involved in what you might think of, of as just like building uh, and selling MRI machines, like you know, CT machines, scanners, big bits of kit, right? Mm. It seemed like what the industry had recognised was that um but there are plenty of you, you can make that stuff and you can order it and they're you know even with supply chain issues the real problem as always is the staff and if you basically own the staff like we're increasingly importing radiographers mm. um and people to sort of like burn through that list but if you if you own the staff if these are well you know um us x firm uh we have trained all these people we have imported them from um from abroad uh we've trained them in the use of our equipment then that that might actually be where where the money is for these um for these private firms so kind of so as always it's a workforce thing <laughs> mm, absolutely yeah or just on diagnostics i think also this week uh steve barclay confirmed locations of around 20 just under 20 new community diagnostic centers but i mean i know you've been looking into this a bit Ben, but um, yeah, it, I was thinking, gosh, like some of those workforce groups that are needed to run those centres are in real shortage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, wonder, I mean, the, in, yeah. In reality, how how soon can they be set up? Well, like, is classic is I think it, they're gonna the one that there's lots of there's not a load of new workforce. There there, there are some there have been some things there was a, there's a move to kind of train lots of nurses uh, to upskill them on on um endoscopy in particular yeah. in particular and that's that's a really important one um you know if someone went like oh what what should be done if we, if we found a billion quid down the back of the sofa what should we do is like train lots of nurses to do endoscopy and train lots of people on um uh on uh, breast imaging um because it goes to two really big and terrible backlog areas but like the the NHS overseas recruitment thing, I most of us always thought of it in terms of like nurses and doctors, but it's going to be increasingly radiographers um, and AHPs and people who can who can do do this work um, that people will be competing for because because it ain't here at the moment, and lots of CDC staff at the moment are people who who would otherwise be working at the trust. You know, and there's like lots of the new ones are, are lovely and are in shopping centres. Like a couple of them are in shopping centres. Most of them are on old, um, like semi-mothballed community hospitals. But that's good. Like that is that is where they should be in the community. Um, but I I just wonder if we're a couple of years away from um, some some TV documentary showing uh, machines sat idle because you can buy the machines, mm. but you yeah. Uh, unless we're going to fill up a load of 747s with people and um, with people trained to use them largely from abroad or mm. train people locally. Upskilling, yeah. yeah. Yeah, then the, you're going to have a real issue. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's it, it's not going to catch us up, um, the the programme as it is. You know, and they've done lots exactly. of stuff. And also, it's, it's worth pointing out that they, they love to, um, and it's England, the department, love to say, oh, we've opened these new centres right um but 
there's not the revenue funding <laughs> like that's what's going to pay like no no one involved in the programs or running them uh thinks there's enough revenue funding um you know i.e to pay for the day-to-day -day employing of staff and uh the increasingly large uh electricity bills that these places are going to rack up um and when you ask uh nhs england the dhsc about uh, well, what is the revenue funding position for the next couple of years? They're like, it's a state secret. Like, we literally won't tell you. Um, and that's never normally a good sign, you know? No, no, um, it doesn't spark confidence, does it? No. <laughs> um, but then maybe they'll find some way to be like, hey, do you know what counts as a new hospital now? A CDC counts as a new hospital. Yeah, um, a CDC you know. and a health village is is a new hospital. Yeah. I mean, because what is a hospital? You know, it'll often be on the grounds of a thing called a, uh, that was called the formerly mothballed in the early, <laughs> in the early 2010s, um, because we thought we needed less beds, mm. uh, community general hospital or something like that. Mm. Um, there's no, I don't think there's any elegant way to segue into talking about <laughs> strap A, so I'm not, I'm not even going to try, but um I, th I think now is a good time to start talking about that. Um, just around um, Ben, it sort of springs from um, an interesting story that you did earlier this week, kind of around how the it's kind of communications failure. I mean, I'm sure on all of our Twitter feeds, I'm seeing particularly GPs being inundated by concerned people, kind of you know completely understandably concerned people about strep A following sort of um, uh, an, an increase in in, in child deaths. Um, from this yeah. kind of, it's a bacterial infection um what i, I think i think the, the the failings around this are obviously quite interesting do you think you could just sort of take us over what what happened i think it's towards the end of last week um so uh, on friday uh the uk hsa the health security agency sort of the the successor body to part of what public health england used to do mm. they put out uh, an official well warning uh, and there's lots of media around it um, and the complaints I got from from quite senior folk on the ground was that you know a bit of warning would have been nice about this because kind of one on one like flooded uh, when people can get from one on one kind of like kind of cheap uh, primary care kind of completely flooded uh, and then when people couldn't get through on either of those places, A&E um, completely flooded with with kind of parents uh, of children who, who might have had something but but didn't have that. Now, it's important to say, like, you know, of course, if you've been told by the UK Health Security Agency, something scary is happening and, you know, children have died, died yeah. of this kind of. And it's important to get the warning out to professionals. That's what UK HSA said. Or have you? pronounce that acronym um you know they had to get warning out to professionals so they're sort of damned if they do and damned if they don't but you could also <laughs> pre-warn uh the services that are about to see a you know uh fourfold increase i think the figures out this morning um on on 111 calls show i think an increase from about nine it's about it's about about a, like three and a half almost fourfold increase in the number uh, of calls and, and calls abandoned and stuff. Um, and it's just, and it's just, it made an already difficult winter situation for, for 
all those different parts of the service just uh, unbelievably difficult. Kind of, I mean, I spoke to um, people running uh, A&E services saying, you know, our, our units are going to be significantly less safe when the chances of missing someone with something else mm. are much greater if you're wading through a seven hour queue of, of parents of, of worried well of worried well parents so the, the kids might not be well obviously but they're not but they don't have the group group a strep um so yeah and so what practical difference could it have made if you just uh told people like a day in advance or, or just issued a warning <laughs> which yeah. they, they didn't appear to do uh internally you could just try and get more staff in kind of lots of 111 services are, are managed by the private sector kind of you know they you need to speak to them and say uh we're expecting a deluge um you know but don't worry we have put up some web pages to uh to let people you know but you can divert people to you know we've put something on the on the 111 website um so yeah those things didn't happen and also you know we saw the internal letter the nhse lead for that put out um <laughs> afterwards which, which was too late by that point um saying oh well you know uh in some situations you can now have kind of calls to care homes lots of one one calls come in from care homes you can have those calls closed by a non-clinician because you're you know so rather than normally it would be a clinician um so two things about that one you know that that has safety risks of its own and they said you know but be careful um but also as was pointed out to me these aren't um that's not that's not anything like a solution you know it's, that's quite low numbers um and the problem with with group a stroke is that sort of it does need to be a face-to-face -face, um consultation to to actually to get to get clarity on mm -hmm. that so yeah many many issues and like you know and uh, of course it's it's probably the most emotive thing is um mm -hmm. children getting seriously ill uh, and dying of a of a new thing but the way the system is set up we won't ever know we're unlikely ever to know how many children or other people died uh, as a result of uh, all these units being swamped all these services being swamped and people who need it like some of it will show up in coroner's courts maybe mm. um but yeah that's one yeah. of the problems yeah <laughs> um, yeah and i think i was um, someone i think it was below the story sort of said it illustrates the powerlessness of icbs which is maybe i thought it was quite interesting maybe it's sort of like well should this have come from would local messaging have been better rather than this like national line that sparked this absolute panic um and yeah just like they really haven't got their their house in order have they when it comes to sort of clear communication because that's obviously yeah that's caused no. all of this yeah and you do i mean maybe icbs would would, would have been a would have been best left to do this on their own maybe maybe not i mean like let, let's be clear kind of you know the the people i spoke to about this sort of in and outside uh the various central bodies they're like ah oh, they've just this would have been handled better like a couple of years ago and you know uk hsa are a, are a relatively new body but like yeah. but ultimately what do people think is going to happen if you kind of if you take out 40 percent 
of the headcount at kind of central bodies you know kind of what what do people think is going to happen you know if you if you slash sort of the management function at icbs we give them a much lower kind of running cost allowance kind of like like those bigger calls will be got more wrong more often uh from doing that i'm not saying there's not there's no waste but um but yeah no one seems to factor that in no no and it doesn't i mean it'll be interesting to see how long this lasts as well i mean maybe it will depend on if there are any further um child deaths from strap a i think that's be quite an important factor perhaps um whether things start to calm down um what I yeah think... i mean that's like the anti and the antibiotic situation yeah and uh they you know you might also have hoped people have got on top of that quickly like as recently as yesterday uh barkley was saying there's no problem uh with the amount of antibiotics this is like very much not what uh people on the ground are saying yeah. i mean like it, i don't think you said there's no problem i think i think the way the way throw it for a politician is to say oh but there's not no supply it's like so he's not said um he's not said there are no problems he said they're, they're it, they do exist it's just yes getting them to people in time has been mm. has been a significant issue and as you said get, getting them to the people who really need them as, yeah i don't know turning someone away who you think might not need them but might need them it's i mean i guess it's a quite a a difficult risk risk judgment to make that some clinicians just yeah yeah aren't it's been to. A, it's like a very very hard weekend um, yeah um and it's going unfortunately it's going to get it's going to get harder as we all know the strikes are coming up soon and nick um you've been dedicating your time to to kind of getting the latest info on what's going on um i think it'd be really good just to hear yeah what what's the latest this week it's quite a fast you know it seems like every week there's some a, a new announcement of a different workforce group striking um what what's the latest yeah as you say it's a, a fast moving situation and i think over the last few days we've seen the sort of rhetoric um, begin to heighten as between the government and the unions because the trade unions uh, the trades union congress in unison um, have said that ministers cannot hide behind the NHS pay review body during their calls for higher pay and then Rishi Sunak during uh, PMQ's uh, vow to introduce tough laws that would prevent unions causing significant disruption during these anticipated strikes and then when you catch that with also the reports of a formal request being made by the Department of Health and Social Care to recruit uh, army personnel to help manage the logistical elements of, of the of the ambulance services during this strike action, it seems to be getting slightly more serious um, as we near the first day of what is supposed to be the, the first of this strike action when the Royal College of Nursing's members uh, walk out on the 15th of December. Um, but I think as as where we are now, I think a lot of the sort of focus is on what's going to happen on December the 15th. As we know, the Royal College of Nursing announced that their members would be taking strike action on the 15th and the 20th of December. And that looks like it will be a key sort of temperature check as, as to where we stand, because at the on both sides, the, the common denominator here will be the public mood. That's according to the people that I've been speaking to in the last week. Um, how this will be judged by the public will largely determine where the two kind of move on from this point. 
And although both sides have been steadfast in their calls, the unions for obviously a, a pay rise uh, in line or at least above inflation, particularly the Royal College of Nursing calling for an above in pay, inflation pay rise plus 5%, um, given the, the, the significant change in the economic circumstances since the pay review body's recommendations were agreed, the government continuing to remain steadfast in, in its in its stance. Um, the public's perception of how the strikes will go seems to be what will determine how we move forward on this topic. If the public appears to back the nurses strike from that point on on 15th and the 20th of December, and then followed by Unison and Unite and GMB with the ambulances, that could play a significant role as to what the government does. We, it's not a case where the government could just ignore uh, the the sort of public perception of it and 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 backing the the kind of strike action. Uh, it may be that they at least say we will go back to the pay review body. That's not a concession at all to say that they would then announce a, a further pay award, but it is something that would be seen as as a as a first kind of step towards the direction of, of getting what they have campaigned for. If, however, the public doesn't really back them in the same way as anticipated, it would perhaps maybe embolden the government and the ministers to think that all they need to do is to hold on just a little bit longer and wait for the, the unions to kind of feel that pressure into softening their stances. Um, but at the moment, there doesn't seem to be any suggestion on either side that, that they are wavering. I mean, a source hinted to me as much this week for, uh, that ministers were not planning to to sort of change their, their, their stance at the moment. And they sort of concede that that strike action is almost inevitable. And, and while Steve Barclay says that the door is open, I don't think anyone is expecting, you know, a, a, a pay award to be made any time this side of Christmas. Um, but there's a lot of nuance to this as well, because there are some key areas to look at. For example, how the unions move forward from here and, and moving forward after the, the first one, two, three strike days will be key, because they do have a range of options available to them. The, the first one being uh, the classic, you know, 24 hours staged walkout and protests and, and that having obviously a significant sort of uh, impact and setting down a marker. But it, you could also do a rolling stoppage in sense of if, for example, eight out of the 10 ambulance trusts that did see uh, strike action declared, um, you could have two hours where staff don't work and then if you repeat that across the country one by one that's going to have a gradual impact over time um some will coordinate some won't and so if they if they do this in a way that that continues to build that momentum as as we've seen with the railway strikes and just keeps it front of mind in the public mood mm. in the public uh, frame of mind then it 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 will have some sort of impact as to how the, the the strikes will go but another area to look at is the way that derogations are being agreed uh, with 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 leaders because that's that's another thing that's causing a lot of concern i mean there was a broad kind of um promise of emergency care and, and life and uh life and limb uh, uh cover being 
promised and and being provided during those days but what that actually means in practice is is what leaders are trying to get to the bottom of when gmb unison unite uh, made their announcement. I asked one of them what what specifics and what what is going to be protected. Into which one of them replied, "It's not known yet and will be decided in the coming weeks." But this is critical for leaders to understand, so then they can prepare and plan better. And every day that goes by is going to be time that they cannot kind of fully focus on what their contingency plans are, even if they have some contingency plans to know what specifically will be protected. Will be a lot more. Uh, you know, a lot easier to, to kind of get around. Um, I think the final point I'd make is, um, I think this is, I hate to sort of use sort of war rhetoric in the kind of serious situation, but it is a sort of war of attrition, I think, uh, because I don't think anyone is expecting this to, move, to, to, to kind of die down anytime soon. The unions and the government are at lockerheads they're not meeting really in the middle as to where they want they're going to move on from this one side wants one thing another is not prepared to move that far and there's already set its stance um but there are still other unions who are involved for example the royal college of nursing the chartered society of physiotherapy and never mind that the bma still have their own committees who are going to be looking at what's going on and deciding among their members the junior doctors who are calling for full pay restoration will be very keen on how things go and then also how that plays out among junior consultants will then perhaps feed into what consultants think about whether they go on strike because they have their own set of issues including pensions which is obviously reducing their hours and and causing them to 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 try to 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 decide not to take on those extra hours which are critical for reducing the elective backlog and reducing the wait times and so on so there's a lot to kind of sink one's teeth into this and to really understand what, what's going on. But really, December 15th will be the key sort of temperature check as to where we are in this. And it really seems, and I don't know if you'd agree, but it really seems that um, noticing what some sort of political journalists have been saying, that there's just no the government have been mm. quite clear. There's no more money available. Mm. And they seem to be really, um, we'll see if Barclay is sort of really, being quite firm on the line mm. that there isn't any more money and as you say yeah um will they meet unions in the middle it seems it seems unlikely that's mm. kind of my reading but I think it's just going to be I think particularly with the really cold weather we've got at the moment and expected next week and we know what we talked about with Ben with the sort of pressure on 111 and primary care it's a horrible cliche but it's just this perfect storm of all these things happening and it's yeah, it is. Yeah. I think it's going to be a very, very trying fortnight um, leading think, to Christmas. I think also one one person that I spoke to was a bit sort of concerned as to how the impact of the RCN calling for above inflation plus five percent affects the wider sort of target because. As as much as you know, some unions will be talking to each other and 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 trying to figure out how they can deliver the biggest impact. It's not that they're all kind of moving as one as one united front. They all have different sort of uh, layers to them. So when the RCN called for above inflation plus five percent, that was obviously significant. But given how in, very unlikely, if we're being realistic, that is going to be 
what is their contingency plan for when it looks like the, the government just isn't going to meet them even halfway? Because the nurses in their membership base who have made this decision are not taking it lightly, as we've discussed before. This is the first time that they've done this in their 106 year history. So with such an historic moment, it's not something that they would have just turned around and said, yeah, we'll do this and then and then that'll be that. It's it's a case of we firmly believe that this is the action that should be taken to get the pay rise that we feel we deserve. So how do they sort of walk back from that if in, in, the, in the event that the government just does not move? How do they walk back from that? What's their contingency plan? Because it's it's a tough line, it's a tough stance to make, but how do you navigate the, the next best option and how does that then have the domino effect on unison which is one of the larger healthcare unions unite which has a, a strong base um gmb and even the smaller unions from those the rcm as in royal college of midwives csp the chartered society of physiotherapy and so on and so on it's not just a case of one union goes and then that sort of has a, a, a sort of um siloed effect it's it has a knock-on effect i think for other unions in terms of what they can expect and what they can sort of figure out what to do next um although it's a slightly unique situation because union nurses have a particularly high sort of um place in 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 the public's perception in terms of in terms of if if uh, uh, an occupation in the health service were to go on strike nurses are sort of at the top where people understand yes like these are people who i can see why they would do it and i and i trust them and so on mm. it's not the same case uh, necessarily for all of the of the staff bases of course there'll be you know uh, people who people value a lot but but nurses have a particularly special high place so there's a lot to th kind of think about there and, and i wonder what what senior union officials and the other unions are thinking about the rcn's kind of move here and, and how that kind of affects things moving forward thanks very much nick that was a great overview um but i think i better wrap things up i'm sure that won't be the last time we talk about strikes on this podcast um and yeah just a reminder to all listeners our podcast is available every week on our website and wherever you find your podcasts and also we're really keen to include your questions in our podcast so if you have anything you'd like to ask our team of journalists you can contact me on twitter at hsj annabelle or email annabelle.collins hsj.co.uk thanks very much for listening and we'll be back next week